Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. The stumps to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. No Smithy this week because he is on the road with the World Cup. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to touch base with him at some point and uh, have a catch up and see where the great man is. But uh, yeah, he had a big day uh, at the Basin Reserve yesterday, of course, part of the Sky commentary team uh, for the Cricket World Cup. And uh, we'll catch up with Smithy a little bit later on in the week. We're actually going to talk uh, that game from yesterday shortly with former White Fern Rachel priest as well but coming up on the show today uh, Ross Taylor's going to join us this hour uh, part of our Dilmar flashbacks series uh, and we're going to talk about that tour of Sri Lanka in 2012 when he scored 142 and 74 in Colombo. He's got a history of big knocks against uh, the Sri Lankan so we'll talk about those with Ross uh, from around 9.30 today after 10 o'clock and Clayton McMillan, the uh, Chiefs coach, of course, a big win for them. I think the first time in six years the Chiefs had won in Christchurch. We'll get Clayton McMillan's take on that and what exactly he said to the boys in the sheds at halftime to turn things around. Joining our Dilma expertise panel later on after 10 o'clock, Jamie Wall, rugby writer, and Mark Watson as well. Louis Herman Watts going to join us for a Love Racing update before 11. And then uh, Andrew Voss, Vossie's Mondays. We're going to talk rugby league in the first round of the NRL with the uh, voice of rugby league, Andrew Voss. And of course, uh, Stumped by Ricardo as well. All of that to come right here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball filling in for you. And of course, yesterday... The White Ferns, it was the match that I think we had all been looking forward to just to get a real measure of where this White Ferns team is at at the World Cup, playing the old enemy from across the ditch. Down on one knee and straight to Beth Mooney. Takes a good catch, Beth Mooney. Hey, Ricardo Ball here. If you're in Masterton, you can listen to us on 91.1 FM or you can download the SNZ app and hear us. Superman! South Africa despair! They're down on their knees! New Zealand goes wild! 
So, yeah, the, the big game yesterday, and yeah, it looked so promising with the ball there for a while, uh, but it all fell apart with the bat for the White Ferns. Someone who knows all about batting for the White Ferns is Rachel Priest, former White Fern herself. G'day, Rachel. How you doing? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Thanks for getting up nice and early for us. Uh, how's, how's, <laughs> how's Trix and Tassie? Um, not too bad, actually. We're actually in Sydney today for um, another match of our WNCL campaign, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously been good watching the White Ferns, but it's also good to focus on um, my season over here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you had a you had a very, very good uh, big bash, didn't you, with the bat? Um, how's uh, how's uh, things gone since uh, the old hit and giggle finished? <laughs> um, not too bad, actually. I um, actually scored my first century for for Tassie the other day, so it was nice to um, contribute in the WNCL um, stuff because I haven't had. Uh, as good a campaign in the 50 other stuff as I would have liked, so it was nice to finally contribute. Yeah, that's great, man. That's great. I, uh, it's good to hear that you're in some good form. We could have could have done with your form yesterday at the Basin Reserve, couldn't we? Uh, I, I, I thought, you know, we, we'd showed so, uh, so many good signs leading into the tournament, but it seems when the pressure's on and there's actually something on a game, uh, that mentally maybe the Ferns struggle a little bit. Um, yeah, look, obviously this World Cup being on home soil adds to that pressure as well. Um, I think it just, like, obviously watching the game yesterday was hard for me. You know, a lot of those girls are, are my close friends and I know how that feels to, to feel the pressure of a big tournament like that. Um, I don't think we can read too much into it. Look, one of, it was seemed like it was one of those days, you know, they, they obviously did pretty well for ball, but um, Ash Gardner kind of wrestled momentum back for Australia at the end of that innings with some, you know, some amazing tower hitting and, and I think they just they sort of lost their way a little bit. On that, well, I mean, let's start with the Australian innings then, because we did look like we had them, uh, maybe not quite under the cosh, but certainly we, you know, we'd taken the top three, top four, uh, reasonably quickly. They had barely a hundred on the board. Uh, I mean, it looked like they were there for us to put the foot on the throat and, and really restrict them. What went wrong? Was it an approach with the ball that went wrong, or do you just have to uh, take your hat off to the Australian batters? Um, yeah, I, I thought, like, like you said, the start was amazing and, um, you know, to get those quick wickets against Australia is absolutely key and and um, I was thinking probably along with everyone else we're really on here. Um, but, yeah, I look, I think, I mean, I've played a lot against Ash Gardner in the Big Bash and, you know, when it's her day, it's her day and um, I think we've just got to take a hat off, our hat off to someone that can hit 48 runs off, um, you know, not many balls, but... Um, I still think that was a score that we could have chased down. Um, it was always going to be tough, but we know that the pitch at the basin's good and the outfield runs fast. So, um, yeah, I think it's unfortunately a little bit of an opportunity lost. I mean, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking uh, to, to, to Louis and Kempe in, at the end of the last hour, but, you know, pr- pr- prior to this World Cup, we played Australia in a warm-up match uh, where there's nothing on it. And they we chased uh, 326, lost one wicket and had seven overs up our sleeve. Does the pressure do that much uh, when you're in the tournament? Um, well, going on what happened yesterday, it must do. Um Look, I think I, I mean I watched that warm-up game as well, and it was amazing. And the girls obviously were in really good form leading into this, um, you know, with that series against India. But um, obviously the pressure's on them a little bit more now. Also losing that game first up to the West Indies, um, you know, so every game now. I mean, obviously it's very difficult now, but the the games are just, you know, everything's on every single game from here on out. And I think they've got South Africa next, so it's not getting any easier for them. Um, 
look, I, I guess it, it, it must be that pressure that of, you know, the added pressure of a home World Cup as well. And, um, you know, I've been there, I've been under those, those pressures of being in a World Cup and I know how it feels. But it's just a shame because they, they did seem to be in such good form leading into that game. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, they they have pulled it around. The win against India, I thought, oh, we're, we're back on track here. We're back on track. But as you've mentioned, we've got three games left now and we've won two, lost two. So we really need to win at least two of these, probably three to, to guarantee it. Uh, South Africa, Pakistan look winnable. England looks like a challenge given uh, last time we played them up uh, up in England. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, I think South, the South Africa game will still be a challenge. Um, you know, they, they've come so far in the last couple of years, and so many of their players are going around the world playing in um, competitions now. So it's you know making their team even better. Obviously, they're missing their captain Dane, but um, you know they're a really formidable side, and, and they won't. New Zealand cannot take that game lightly. But um, you know they've got. They've also just got to let go what's happened. You know this is tournament play, and and you've just got to let that game go now. And you know they unfortunately all had a bad day together, and um, I'm sure that they'll be you know re talking about their plans and, and looking forward to that game against South Africa. But yeah, I think I think they do need to win all three really to to definitely be sure of um, you know moving on to the next phase of this competition. And of course, England will be in must-win mode as well, having dropped uh, a game to Aussie and a game to the West Indies. So uh, that that could be everything. If we get past South Africa, it's going to be uh, tight. Um, how much do you think uh, owners should go on Bob Carter uh, and the coaching team here? And I say this not down to being rolled by Australia for 128, but more on how we didn't manage the game. I mean, obviously, if we look like we're going to lose the game, sure, but you can still bat out your 50 overs and, and do your net run rate some good, especially if it's going to potentially come down to that to get into the semis? Yeah, look, um, I think some of the some of it has to go back onto the coaching staff um, and how that they got the players ready to approach this game. But, yeah, look, I don't know exactly how many overs they batted. I think it was only 30-something, 30, 30 30, maybe, into the 30. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's just... Um, you know, it's sacrilege not to bat out your overs at least in a, in a 50-over game because you never know what can happen. But... Um, yeah, and I mean, we've got quite a long tail. We've got Katie Martin down down the order a little bit, and she's really experienced as well. So um, I think that, yeah, I mean, they've got to have some discussions and about how they're going about um, playing these games. But, I mean, as we know, Australia are, you know, such a great opponent. It is difficult, but we've got some really experienced players. And, um, yeah, look, I think potentially seeing, you know, depending on what happens in this tournament, that there might be some... Um, pressure on some of the coaching staff for sure. What about on the uh, on on the eleven itself? I mean, uh, gave up a hundred and what was it, a hundred and five runs in the last ten overs, uh, which wasn't great. So the death bowling probably needs looking at, and of course uh, the top order um, failing against this Australian attack. Yeah, look, um, I think that the death bowling has been a little bit of a problem, um, you know, in the past. Um, they started off, you know, with a hiss and a roar getting those four wickets like we spoke about, but you've got to maintain that against a team like Australia throughout the whole 50 overs. And and obviously they just didn't do that yesterday. And, and as we said, look, Ash Gardner's batted well as well. But, um, you know, they know the players that Australia have got and um, maybe they just didn't quite execute their plans in the last 10 overs. And, you know, it's a lot of runs to be put on when you've you started off so well and that's a real momentum shifter. Um and yeah, look. Once if you lose your your top order, you know three for twenty. I think they were so three for twenty something. And um, you know those three of our best players back in the sheds. It's always going to be difficult to chase that kind of score. So um, 
yeah, look, I mean, it's just a shame that they all failed in the same day because they've all been playing really well. You know, they've all had scores. Obviously, Amelia's in what seems like the form of her life, which was mm. great. Um, but we just needed one of those guys to step up in that game, and it didn't happen. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, it gets really difficult when you lose, um, you know, three or four of your best players in the first 15 overs. Yeah, yeah, that's Rachel Priest with us, former White Fern, now playing for Tasmania over in Australia at 14 past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Paul in for Smithy. And uh, I mean, I said, uh, Rachel, to, I'm trying to remember who it was now, uh, but I, I, I said to a guest, uh, I think earlier in the tournament, might have been the first week of the tournament, after Australia beat England so uh, so well, the, I was like, do, you know, do we all just go home now and give the give the trophy to Australia? I mean, <laughs> based on what you've seen, can you, can you see anybody touching the Aussies? Oh, it's hard to <laughs> to say that, isn't it? Because obviously they've uh, been my bitter rivals for so long. But um, you know, playing in, in their domestic leagues over here, it's um, just showing me how you know, how much further ahead they are than most countries and how much depth they've actually got. You know, they obviously dropped their number one ODI bowler in the game for the game yesterday and still absolutely hammered New Zealand. So um, it's a little bit scary for everyone else to see the depth that they've got. And, you know, Ash Gardner's in quarantine for a week and she comes out and does that. So um, we know how good they are. Um, but look, I think every team's beatable. And, you know, all these teams that are in this competition have been... Um, you know, preparing for these moments. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, the game against England was... I watched that game and, um, you know, Nats have almost wrestled it back for England, but um, they are certainly a formidable force and, and they seem to be just rolling along in this tournament. But, um, you know, you just never know what can happen in these tournaments. And, um yeah, I just hope New Zealand can win these last three games and have another good crack at it. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Uh, what about uh, the West Indies? We should talk about them because coming into this tournament, no one was talking about them, but they've knocked over both uh, New Zealand and England. And, uh, you know, they've, outside of Australia, they've probably got the best run of anybody left in the tournament. Yeah, um, you know, they're always an exciting team to watch play cricket. Um, you never know what's going to happen. And, and it seems like, you know, some of their um, big players have been hitting form at the right time. Hayley Matthews um, has, yeah, been playing beautifully. And obviously Deandra Dotton will always offer something in a game, whether it was with a bat or ball, as we saw um, the other day when she bowled that last over. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting... Um, you just never know what, what they're going to do so I wasn't doing too much from them um, but look we've seen in tournaments in the past they, they can come through and, and beat the big guns and obviously they won that T20 World Cup a few years back so um, you just never know with those guys and it's, it's quite nice to see them um, kind of pulling together some more disciplined um, games you know they often will bat really well and then might not feel and bowl as well, but they seem to be pulling together, um, you know, some complete games, and it's really exciting for the tournament. Yeah, another team uh, that maybe uh, isn't getting talked about enough is Pakistan. Um, They are a team that, for me, look great in the field and look very good with the ball, but their batting has let them down on a couple of occasions so far this tournament. Uh, Is it too far gone for them now, do you think? Yeah, you just as I said, you just never know in these tournaments. But I, I agree, actually. They've certainly um, looked like they've improved over the last couple of um, years. And um, traditionally, their fielding and, and hasn't been the best. But I think they've definitely improved it. And um, you just never know. But you're right; they need to probably get a few more partnerships going with their batting. You know, they've got some they've got some good batters in that team. And um, 
you know, playing on good wickets and fast outfields, you just never know what can happen. But they probably just need to do the right things for a little bit longer in these games to, to have any chance of pushing forward. But um, it's exciting that it seems like most teams are, are really improving. The quality of cricket at this World Cup, uh, I think, has been exceptional. And, you know, the thing that I, I think shows how far women's cricket has come is that you've got an eight-team tournament and anybody can beat anybody on the day. There are, there are no gimmies, there are no whipping, I was going to say whipping boys, but whipping girls, if you like, uh, in, the, in, in the tournament. There's nobody that you know that you're gonna, uh, is going to lose going into it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's um, just shown by the professionalism that's happened, you know, around the world in different countries and, and how much emphasis there is actually being put on women's cricket now, which is so, so exciting for, for everyone that, that loves women's cricket and, um, you know, wants to be involved in it. You know, the little kids that are watching this tournament in New Zealand hopefully are getting really excited about women's cricket. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, obviously, apart from yesterday, most of the games have been um, really competitive and, and I don't think we need to read too much into it. Look, it was a bad day for New Zealand yesterday and, and they've all, unfortunately, like I said, had a bad day together, but that doesn't define them as a team and, and hopefully they can bounce back from this really quickly. But, yeah, I think it's so, so exciting when you're seeing teams like the West Indies, you know, beat beat New Zealand and beat England and, um, you know, come through and, and hold their nerve under those big pressure games. So um, it's really, really exciting to watch. Uh, the uh, one thing I, I guess we want to see now, and I know we've had it happen in the past, but I... I... Oh, you know, I know that Bob's been in, in charge of this team for a little while, and obviously Jacob Oram's uh, in the wings as well. He's he, he's part of the setup. But what about female coaches in cricket and pathways for them? Uh, I, I know that you, obviously you know it's something that you'll be uh, you'll have a, a take on, given you've been involved in the game for so long. Are there enough, and and where are the next sort of group of female coaches coming from? Um, no, I don't think there's enough. Um, I don't think there's enough women involved in every level of management or anything to do with cricket in New Zealand, to be honest. Um, it's definitely getting better, but um, I think it would be really exciting to see um, a female coach, um, you know, have another go at the job. And look, it doesn't have to be someone from New Zealand. You know, there's a lot of good coaches in Australia. There's a lot of good coaches in England. Um, so maybe we need to look further afield and, and find someone that way. And I also don't think it has to be a female coach. I think we need to get the best person for the job if um, Bob is going to finish up and if um, Jake isn't going to take over. Um, and look, I'm not necessarily thinking that that's the best way to go. Maybe they do need freshening up um, after this World Cup. Who knows what the best, best thing is going to be for this group, um, depending on what happens with the World Cup, I'm sure. You know, there'll be some talks about that, but um, it would be really exciting to see, um, and like one coach that I worked a lot with is Joanne Broadbent, who's now working um, in ND. She's from Australia originally. I worked with her at the Sydney Thunder, and um, she's a great coach, really, really knowledgeable and really experienced. So who knows? She she might put her hat in the the ring, um, you know, as someone that could could have a really good go at it. Does it make a difference to you as a player in terms of in terms of the coaching staff? I think it makes a difference um, just having someone that sort of, it might sound strange, but knows how to work with women. Like, it's not the same as working in a men's team. Um, you know, there's different situations that arise in every team and different um, emotions and, and way we like to be communicated with and things like that. So I don't think it matters who takes the role as long as they're willing to um, you know, find the best way to work for that group of players that they're working with. Um, 
So, yeah, it'll be exciting to see what happens in the next couple of years with the team. Yeah, it will be. Uh, Rachel, before we let you go... Because I know you, you'll, you'll be you'll be gasping for a coffee right about now. But before we let you go, <laughs> uh, do the White Ferns make the semi-finals? Um, look, I, as I said the whole way throughout this, you just never know what happens. I desperately, desperately believe that they can and hope that they do make it for all those girls. I know how hard they they would have worked, and um, as I said before, it's you know some of my closest friends are in that team and. You know, yesterday was hard to watch, but it doesn't define them as a group. And um, I think that, you know, park what's happened so far and, you know, keep pushing on and go back to the, the drawing board on some of their, their plans at the end of the game. And um, they can definitely make it. And, you know, what a, a fairy tale it would be to, one, make the semi final, two, make the final, and win it again, you know, after the last time we won it. And, but yeah, all the way back in the year 2000 when I was watching on TV as a teenager. So I'd love to, to watch them make that final again. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Uh, Rachel, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for getting up early and uh, best of luck against New South Wales today, eh? Thanks, Eve. Cheers. Rachel Priest there with us, uh, former White Fern opening bat, now opening the batting uh, and captaining as well, Tassie. Tasmania, and uh, she uh, is, is going great guns over there, and great to get her insights in, into a team that she has been part of in the past. Uh, it is 9.23 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in with you because Smithy is on the road with the World Cup team, World Cup coverage, uh, so I'll be in with you most of the week. Uh, Logan, uh, you've, you've, you've got to hold my hand through this week, buddy. Um, uh, what, what, was, what was your take on yesterday? Mate, I think we had you a bit last week as well. Uh, had you anchoring the International Women's Day special that I worked so hard to put together. And no, it's been awesome to have you on, mate. So I was, I had an awesome weekend. I went down to Taupo uh, with mm. my wife and my daughter, Madison. And uh, the only sport I really got to see was the Warriors uh, on Saturday night. And then on the drive back, uh, I had the New Zealand Australia game on my phone, going in and out of reception, <laughs> bouncing between 4G, 3G, and a uh, bit of a struggle, bit of a punishing way to watch that game and you know I was dipping in and out of course because of that and you know we had uh, like Smithy sort of took uh, Bob Carter to task the other day and mentioned look the Leah Tahuhu hasn't been great in this tournament uh, I thought she did answer back really well. She got, you know, three wickets, two really key wickets, one, of course, being uh, Elise Perry. Uh, I think she also got Elisa Healy right at the start mm. there too. And I was like, great, we're off to a good start. And then the, the reception drops out, I come back in, Ash Gardner is smashing the White Ferns all around the park. And, and of course, straight out of isolation, and she's knocking it out. So, I mean, as as uh, Rachel Priest just said there, like, tip the hat off to her because that was massive. And just Australia just looked too, too good. They, yeah, they look, really, they look really good. And you, if you think about it, they... Uh are placed really well now. They're unbeaten, and they've and they've already played us, uh, who are hosts, and you would say probably fourth favourites. And they've played England, who were second favourites, and they've won both of those games. Uh, you would think in current form they'll probably knock India over. I reckon they go through the group stage uh, pretty much unbeaten at this stage. It, they look too good for everyone. Yeah, and just looking at the standings now, I mean, New Zealand has played four games. Uh, Australia there on top. They've played three, one, three. India have played three, one, two, lost one, and South Africa have played two and one, two. So I mean, New Zealand really, really have to get up uh, against South Africa if, the, if they're going to have a chance there to sort of cement things. Because as you mentioned there with Rachel, the West Indies, 
they're creeping up there. They could sneak in there and potentially uh, New Zealand doesn't even make the top four, which would be, I mean, a real shame. Obviously, this has been an awesome tournament so far. Like The quality of cricket has been great. The coverage has been great all around. And, you know, just to see how much women's cricket has grown. Uh, I saw, you know, they do little player profiles and Elise Perry's favourite cricketing moment. I, I thought this was awesome. It wasn't a moment that she played. It was seeing how much the sport has grown. And I think we're really seeing it at the moment. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is if you look at who's got who left, the West West Indies, you mentioned them, they currently sit fifth in the standings, but they have played three of the top four seeded teams, right? So they've played New Zealand and one they've beaten England as well and they've lost to India. So they can play Bangladesh, Pakistan and South Africa yet to come and then they've got the Aussies. But they have got three winnable games coming up the Windies. Um, they could be well entrenched. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, South Africa, I think, have played Bangladesh and Pakistan so far, who are the two bottom teams in the tournament at this stage. be interesting to see how they go. They've got a game today against England, and that's going to be a real test for them. Uh, and then Bangladesh, Pakistan also play today in Hamilton. So uh, a couple of games on the, on the cards today that could give a bit more shape to the latter. Yeah, and speaking of that with England, I mean, what's going on with them to the defending champions? And we thought, we all thought they'd be right up there, uh, you know, I mean, as you would expect, defending champions. And they've kind of dropped the ball a little bit. My eye is really when they take on New Zealand uh, at Eden Park on Sunday. Uh, I would be quite keen to go to that game. I think that'll be an awesome one. Starts at 11. And just that is going to be key for the White Ferns, but also for England if, if they are going to do anything. I mean, they got to survive uh, South Africa and India first. Dilmar flashbacks. Celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Oh, yes. Got it away. He's dropped it too short. And uh, Taylor pounced. That'll be his 50. Lovely off drive to raise a half century for the local boy. And hear the crowd. Ross Taylor, 50. Oh, he's got a hold of this one too. That's another one on the grandstand. That's over it. Pressure on. Taylor pushes and goes. It's in the gap. He's got it. He's got his first. And on the level of composure we've seen today, it will not be his last. It's 27 away from 10 here on SENZ. It is mornings with Ian Smith, Smithy on the road with the Cricket World Cup. So Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. And uh, we are looking at Dilmar flashbacks. And Ross Taylor is the subject of today's flashback interview. G'day, Ross. How are you doing? G'day, Ross. How are you doing? Good morning, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good, good. I, I, I would imagine uh, hearing that, that would have brought back some memories for you. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've actually heard that being called before from Smitty. So, um, no, some, some good memories. And uh, I guess when you, you play international sport at any level, um, you know, feeling like you belong and, um, and cricket's probably no different. Getting that first 100 uh, definitely settles the nerves and thinking that you're good enough to play this. 
uh, game at a high level. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. You've, you've got, you know, the, the the irony that this is a Dilmar flashback and we're talking about Sri Lanka um, as, as an opponent for you as well, given that's where uh, Dilmar is from. But, I mean, your, your first international 100 came against the Sri Lankans uh, here back in uh, 2006 in Napier, of course, uh, back in, uh, in your hometown as well, that 128 batting at three. Um I mean, I know it's different from the test in Colombo, but you seem to have a bit of an affinity with uh, the Sri Lankan cricket team. You, you, you had a pretty good record there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, oh, yes and no. I think uh, they definitely had the wood over me at, at different stages, but, um, you know, a lineup of Murali, um, obviously grew up watching them, Murali, Jimin Devas, and Malinga. Um, if I remember right, you know, they quite a formidable and intimidating type of opponents, but, um, I guess when you're playing at home, you know your conditions well um, in your home ground. Uh, you know, I haven't, haven't played a lot of um, one-day cricket in Napier in the last few years, but uh, back then uh, was a, a regular spot on the on the calendar and uh, it was nice to, to test yourselves out and, you know, against the best and um, play against some of your childhood heroes that you grew up uh, watching from afar. Yeah, it's the irony, isn't it? I suppose uh, when you talk about international cricket at Napier, it used to be that if you if you needed rain in the Hawks Bay, you just scheduled a cricket match. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I think it's still it's still the case. <laughs> um, where you know you just you fly in, the hills are brown, uh, and then the game's rained out. It's just uh, just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And talking about that team, you mentioned it, but Chaminda Vass, uh, Lasseth Malinga, uh, Mataya Muralurian, uh, uh, they had uh, Tilak Dilshan as well, Sanath Jaisari. That was a that was a team of absolute superstars. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you mentioned Jaisari. Um, you know, he's the Wiley campaigner. Um, you know, just an innocuous type of action, and he just had to be on on song, but. I guess when you, oh, you'd probably have to ask a few of the youngsters, but you know when they're coming into to bolt here, you sort of go pinch yourself a little bit because, as I said, you've grown up watching these guys, and here they are, uh, um, you know, bowling to you. And uh, but at the same time, for you know, it's cool uh, to have family and friends there and, uh, and supporting you along the way. Now, of course, uh, but, uh, the the main. Uh, p- sort of talking point uh, for this spot to these, these Dilmar flashbacks was that second test in Colombo in 2012 uh, and you showed incredible resilience in, in that test match and it was it was a te- I guess you'd say a test of two halves to use a rugby parlance mate uh, 142 off 306 in the first innings where you really had to had to take your time and, and bat time and, and, and see the ball and, and then the second innings where you really had to put some runs on quickly and you, you notched up 74 off 95 yeah, I think it was, um, you know, I think after, the thing about that game is we got completely outplayed um, in the first test and, and obviously the two-match series um, was probably the bounciest look at a piece of Maranutu. Um, piece of just it's a lot easier to say. Um, <laughs> that's, where we need, that's where we need paddles to to do his, um, his old ad, which um, obviously a lot of the younger listeners wouldn't remember but um, no it was, it was a bouncy wicket uh, winning the toss and obviously there was a few other distractions going on mm. behind the scenes at that time um, and yeah put, put on a good partnership with Kane after losing the two openers and I think we were still there um, batting on day one which um, gave us uh, 
Uh, you know, obviously a, a, to be in a good position. Um, there's a there's a famous story I'm sure cannot be aired at the moment, but will come out a bit later um, that Smithy will be able to tell um, from that match. But um, no, it was a yeah, just been one nil down, um, contributing. We knew um, now even though you get one forty, you know you're going to have to try and scrap it out again as you do in these subcontinent um, places. Um, and and you know the seventy of ninety, I think it was actually it was the only way to sort of bat on that wicket. You needed to you needed to play some shots where if you just try to survive, um, there would have been a ball with an animal. Yeah, that's I mean that's and, and that's the difference between uh, I guess those the pitches you see there and the pitches you see here, right? I mean the amount of change you see between the first innings and the second innings in, in a test. Yeah, I mean um, you know quite often. Um, you know, in New Zealand, being an opener uh, is, is one of the toughest positions to bat. Um, where sometimes, um, if you think about, apart from you know, spending a lot of time in the field, the best time is actually with the new ball. Um, so it probably worked in our favour, um, losing a couple of early wickets and and getting through that. Where you know, I'm sure if you you tell some of the the openers um, who played over the last little while, uh, the subcontinent players um, play. Uh, the best place to bat for these openers is, is in those first 10 or so overs where once the spin does come on, uh, it can be a pretty daunting place to play. Now, you, you obviously, uh, mentally, it'd be very taxing, those conditions, quite humid over there, pitchers doing things you, you don't expect a pitch to do. You've got bowlers who are very much suited to those conditions. So mentally, it's it's really tough. Uh, you've got to be so dialled in and switched on. So you had that going on. You also had the captaincy thing going on that you've alluded to. Uh, how did you approach that test match, given everything that was going on behind the scenes? Uh, I think, the, um, for me, it was probably, um, well, A, you got to put a performance, and I think um, if we'd lost that test match, um, it would have been five or six in a row, which would have been a record at the time. Uh, so it was a motivating factor in, uh, in trying to get on top of that. Um, you know, you, you're representing a country. Um, you don't really need much more motivation than that. Um, but we're 1-0 down in the series. It was... Um, you know, after day one, um, I still think a lot of people uh, wouldn't have given us much of a, cho- a show. You know, coming up against um, Sangakara and Mahela, um, you know, players with amazing records in their own conditions as well. Um, you know, I think even even after the start, we had, I don't think the New Zealand public probably gave us an opportunity to win that, but that was probably the emergence of. Tim Southey and Trent Bolt, I think, you know, we talk about spinners, but the way they bowled and, and Doug Bracewell that day, um, you know, put us in, in good stead to to have a famous victory and our first victory there since 1996, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, Tim took five for, uh, Trent took four as well. Um, and then that in the first innings and in the second innings, they took three apiece uh, as well. And Todd Aspel actually uh, took a wicket in that match too. Uh, what about, you know, during that innings? Uh, it is one of the uh, the longest innings of your career. 306 balls, you're out there for 388 minutes. You got that, the, the 102. Harath got you and Kane and Daniel Flynn, all LBW and Todd Aspel LBW in that innings. I mean, uh, just how tough was it to bat on in those conditions against him? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Haraf used to blow our front pads off for fun. Um, <laughs> you know, he just the way he just his control, his height, um, his angle that he came in at. I think, you know, he just put that ball 
Um, I mean, this is no disrespect to him, but um, you just put that ball just around that off stump. Um, and I'm sure there's a little bit of um, skill and dial, but there's also a little bit of natural variation where um, I sort of talk about if the spinner doesn't know which way it's going to go, then how is the batter going to have any idea? Yeah. And um, and that was that was sort of all, um, you know, that was Harafa. He used to just put the ball there. Um, he knew some would turn. He knew some would just get on. And um, was a, you know, you had to trust your defence. And um, you know, you almost you'd almost rather get nicked off than um, get LBW. But um, it was nice to have made a contribution. Um, but Harafa in those conditions don't get uh, don't get much. Uh, Tucking for a right, right arm, that is for, uh, right-handed batsman, that is for sure. No, that's that's right. Well, what were the conversations like between overs between you and Kane? Because Kane was, uh, you know, a y- much younger man then as well. Yeah, I think you are. I mean, he was learning his game, and he, I guess, when you were uh, once again, no disrespect to Kane, but when you're a bit shorter, um, you're in the way he plays, but um, the way he uses crease, the way he uses his feet, um, you know, made it better a bit easier where we, the taller guys um, can get a little bit cast and um, and it's not as I guess agile and, and being able to do to move as much um, but no Kane I mean Kane you know is very um, methodical he, he trains hard he knows knows where he wants to score and, and all those things but if I think back to then I mean Kane would have been quite a quiet um, introverted type um, person he wouldn't have really been saying much but I think his presence and the way he went about it was probably enough uh, to give not only myself confidence but the guys back in the hutch um, a bit of a, a bit of a confidence boost in knowing what he was doing. Where does this test uh, sit for you in terms of when you look back at your career? I mean, I know you had the two ninety in Perth and you've you've had bigger scores, but in terms of a, a performance, where does this sit, sit for you in your career? Do you think? I think it would definitely have to be up there at the top. I think. Um, in terms of batting with all the other distractions going on, would would have to be up there, um, one or two. Um, and probably, in terms of the win, probably only second to um, second to Hobart, I would have thought, in terms of um, the, the conditions, um, the opposition that we faced, um, and their own conditions. Any test win is, is really good and very satisfactory, but um, you know to be a, a very strong Sri Lankan side in their own conditions... Um, it's something uh, you know the team are very proud of. Yeah, good stuff, Ross. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on today, mate. Uh, great to chat. How are you? How are you feeling? I know you've been out with the old uh, the old COVID. How are you feeling? You battling all right? Yeah, we, we're all uh, getting there slowly. Um, different, you know. I think we've we've got it mildly, which is is good. Yep. But um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully the rest of the country can can get through this and. Um, you know, get back to normal as, as soon as possible. I mean, watching this Women's World Cup at the moment and seeing the full crowds, or not full crowds, but good crowds, um, you know, hopefully that can be uh, more of the same in the, in the few, next few weeks and, and months. Yeah, indeed, mate. Go well. I uh, hope you're better soon and we see you back out uh, batting for, for CD, eh? Appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Ross Taylor with us on our Dilmar flashback here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
It's 10 away from 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for you. And uh, the Temper Bedpost text machine, uh, Temper and Bedpost like no other. You can keep your texts coming through on double eight double three. We've had a, had a few come through. Uh, this one from John. When Heidi Tiffin stepped down as coach, New Zealand cricket did not advertise to open uh, the open role. They gave the job to Bob Carter, who had a contract with NZ Cricket. Bob Carter had never coached a women's team, so how could he be the best person for the head coaching job and understand women's uh, cricket as uh, Rachel said is key we now see the inconsistencies when Carter took the men's under 19 team to a World Cup they failed winning one game against a minor nation cheers John yeah I mean like I don't want to I'm not this isn't about attacking Bob Carter uh, at all I was just uh, you know having that question I've had conversations before with athletes from other sports female athletes from other sports and you know the conversation has been and that when they have a female coach, or at least members of the coaching staff, female members of the coaching staff, particularly senior, uh, that they feel like they get more balance, uh, and and culturally, I guess, would probably be the best way to put it, it feels a bit a better fit for them. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Thanks for your text, John. You can keep your texts coming through. Uh, we did actually have a, a little bit of a technical issue. Somebody texted through earlier asking about some ads being played through the interview. We had a technical issue, so I apologise for that, but we should be uh, good now. We are back and, uh, and running. And, and Logan, we've uh, had quite a few different uh, stories come uh, develop over the last few days. Uh, there's lots of sport going on, of course, over the weekend. But uh, Australia, man, they they absolutely there must be roads over in Pakistan because the first test obviously was a draw, a lot of high scoring, and, and we've seen Australia again and the uh, over in Pakistan at the start of this test. Uh, you know, it stumps in the second test day two, five hundred and five for eight. Uh, it is a batsman's paradise by the looks. Yeah, and uh, Alex Carey must have been licking his chops when he saw it because he hit a career-best uh, 93 there on day two. So, you know, they're looking pretty good. That's awesome to see. And, you know, Mitch Stark doing all right for himself as well. So, I mean, it's just cricket all over the place at the moment. It's so hard to keep up. It's it's on almost 24-7 when you think about the time difference. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we get the Women's World Cup during the day and then at night if you're feeling like it, if you're – not wanting to watch the rugby league or anything else that's on, and we'll get to that later because round one of uh, NRL was freaking amazing. But yeah, just there's so much cricket on at the moment. Yeah, there is. There's there's a ton, and you can catch a lot of it here on SENZ. We have uh, live coverage of all the White Ferns games from the Cricket World Cup, and also at nights at the moment uh, we have coverage of that Australia Pakistan series uh, coming out of Pakistan as well. Usman Khawaja top scoring for the Aussies with 160. In that innings, it is seven away from ten. And send us a DM with the words "the race" for the chance to win a 0.5 percent share of Self Assured. If Self Assured wins the race at Cambridge Raceway on April 14, one lucky winner will walk away with a half a percent share of those winnings from the race, which I'm reliably informed is around two thousand dollars. I know uh, two grand go down pretty well with most people right now. You might even get a tanky gas out of it. So uh, <laughs> make sure you jump in and uh, be part of the uh, the race there. Now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we've got two games coming up in the uh, cricket women uh, women's cricket World Cup today. Pakistan, Bangladesh. The Pakistanis are favourites at a dollar twenty four. Bangladesh paying three seventy five. While the South African women play England from two o'clock. England are favourites at $1.22, South Africa $3.95, the first real test for them at this World Cup. Bet live on your favourite sport, download the TAB app today.
the all-new SCNZ. Behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Again, Christie, valiant on defence. Away to the left, so a cooler, big tackle. Off for the Chiefs! Numbers away to the left, they're going to score, they're going to win it! There it is for Rameka Puyipi! The Chiefs tonight have thrown everything at the Crusaders. That's what you have to do to beat them, particularly in Christchurch, where they have tasted success for the first time in over six years. Yeah, there you go. That was uh, the Chiefs getting up over the Crusaders commentary, courtesy of Sky Sports and Jeff McTainch with the call there. And uh, what a game it was, too. It was a real arm wrestle, a real ding-dong battle. And, you know, uh, yesterday on uh, the rugby run that I do with Justin Marshall on a Sunday between 1 and 3 with Bunnings Trade, uh, we got Clayton McMillan on the phone, the coach of uh, the Chiefs, of course. He's the first Chiefs team to win down there in something like six years. The first question... I asked Clayton was around the halftime chat because it was 14-10 at halftime uh, but really that last 20 minutes of the, of the first half the Crusaders were camped in the Chiefs half as I said to Clayton given that, that what was it that you said in the sheds to turn things around in the second half? Uh, well, I just thought we, we were in the game um, we coughed up a couple of opportunities was just being a little bit more tough and, and just recognising the fact that um, we couldn't just hope to hang in there and and beat the Crusaders. I think you've got to be you've got to be brave and you've got to be clinical. Um, and you know, I thought we I thought we we showed that in spades in that last forty minutes where you know we held onto the ball for long periods of time at the right end of the field and we turned down a few terrible opportunities and the pursuit of trying to get sort of five or seven and. Um, yeah, for a long time under yeah, pretty impressive um defence. Um, it looked like you know we we're going to get held out, but um, yeah, we, we managed to get the job done, which was really pleasing. Clayton, Marshy here. Hey, look, I really appreciate you joining us today. Congratulations on what was a simply outstanding performance yesterday. Um, not an easy place to go and win, as you very well know, uh, and to achieve that in the fashion that you did. When, when you sort of sat down, and reflected after all the the hype, and you're in the changing room. Can you put your finger on why why you won that game? What what was the one thing that got you that victory? Oh, I certainly think that there was a lot of grit um, shown by the boys to you know, just keep hammering away. And although we weren't getting a lot of reward, just sort of sticking, you know, just kept, uh, continuing to apply the pressure um, was really good. Um, to put it on one particular thing, yeah, I'm not too sure. I just think that you know we've been fortunate that we've been able to sort of get some of our more experienced players out on the park um, regularly this year, and you know guys like Sam Kane, Brody, and Tom, and a number of others. Well, what they do is they bring you know their experience to the table and help a, a talented but you know youthful team um, just make better decisions under pressure and. Uh, and never, never think that you're out of the game. And so, you know, just the fact that we ground out a win against quality Crusaders side was was pleasing. Uh, certainly, um, you'll know the statistics, but I'll sort of educate a couple of our listeners on them. But they, they, <laughs> they were again very impressive. Like for you to put 38 rucks inside their 22, 158 carries, and camp yourself for 11 and a half minutes. 
inside the Crusaders' 22. Like you said, their their, their defence was incredible. 242 tackles at 90% effective uh, rate is pretty good, isn't it? So I think it's a, it's a real positive for your side to show that you were more patient than them and your ball discipline, like with those stats, that ball discipline is incredible to not concede a turnover because in your ball discipline, you've got clean out, you've got work that goes into recycling that ball. The Crusaders, for all of their good defence, um, they couldn't get the ball back and you were outstanding in that area. That must have really pleased you. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, and, and I think I mentioned it to the media after the game was that you just had to sit back and applaud you know, the way that the Crusaders defended because it was impressive and, you know, it's those sorts of traits um, that have become sort of synonymous with with that team over a number of years and it's why they're incredibly hard to break down and beat at home. And, and for us to stick in there and, you know, like build that high face count, I think was, was really impressive and I, I'm not too sure what you can put it down to, but I, I think there's, you know, like there's, there's opportunities early on in the game where you wish that the team would show that same sort of accuracy and urgency to, you know, support ball carrier and be really, really, you know, brutal in your carry clean game and just, you know, be prepared to play what can look pretty one-dimensional rugby at times just to just to get the, you know, the, the job done and um, and under under pressure, knowing that you know at any moment the Crusaders can. You know, score against the runner play, pick a penalty, um, score a try. If they'd done that in the last 20 minutes, then it might have been a bit of a bridge too far. So, you know, it was impressive. The guys showed um, a huge amount of um, ticker, and, and, you know, there was definitely some tired boys on the sides of, um, you know, on both sides last night because ball and play time was phenomenal and a hell of a lot of tackles and carries made. It must have been really tough getting on that bus last week and driving back down the highway to Hamilton after suffering a loss in that fashion. I wanted to touch on a couple of individuals, if you don't mind. I thought Bryn Gatlin, to, to bounce back, be given the responsibility in that 10 jersey and the way that he was the architect, he stayed flat all day, he challenged the line regularly, um, you know, hit good decisions with everything that he was doing and his, go- and his goal kicking, you know. It must have been a tough week for him. It wasn't his bloody fault, was it, against the Blues? But, you know, for him to go out and put in a performance like that must have been pleasing for you and, and put some pressure on you, um, you know, in that in that area to select select a player for that jersey. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, there was a lot of disappointment last week because we felt like the large periods of that game against the Blues that we had the, the better of them. But, uh, and we mm. gave ourselves an opportunity to win that game, but we didn't lose it because Bryn missed the kick. We lost it because we weren't accurate enough in the opportunities that were presented to ourselves. So um, it was great for you know like everybody, but in particular Bryn, to get the opportunity after what would have been personally disappointing for him to be able to get back on the horse straight away um, and you know and put in a pretty probably probably his best display I think in the Chiefs jersey. Um, under that yep. sort of pressure, so yeah, he was really. We've, we've always had a lot of, you know, um, belief in in Bryn's, um ability. He's he's proved time and again that he's you know he's fairly clutch. He he, he normally steps up for those last minute penalties and nails them or a drop kick or, um, you know, he's he's been a great player for North Harbour and other Super teams and they've had the benefit of his services. So. Yep, look, he, he really took his opportunity yesterday, and that's that's what we want all our players to do is to 
make it hard for us to select the 23 and to put pressure on those outside their 23 to get better and perform when they get their opportunities. I'd like to ask you now about another player that maybe our listeners don't know a great deal about, and, and I'll be honest, neither do I, but have been incredibly impressed. I think there's a, there's a real future there, um, and it might come quicker than what he's expecting, but Cortez Ratama, um, what's his background, mate? Because he's been bloody impressive at provincial NPC level, but uh, making that step up last night, he did not look out of place. Yeah, looking at uh, for his first um, look at Super Rugby, he made a real fist of it, didn't he? He's, um, look, he's a combative, you know, ultra-competitive young man. He's come through the Waikato, you know, schooling and representative um, sort of pathways. Um, when I was coaching Power Plenty, I remember him being an 18 and 19 year old out of school, and um, he was the best player in the park when we played them. And he was just a kid, and I thought, you know, like shit, he's got a, he's got a bit of a future. And um, mm. fortunately, you know, he chose to lay his um, lay his hat with the Chiefs, and, and a lot of other teams were chasing his services. And I think everyone got a glimpse last night why, because he's he, he's just an ultimate competitor. You know, he's one of those guys who. Um, he likes that sort of combative, you know, the, I guess the, the physical aspect of the game. So he's he's able to carry when, you know, perhaps we're a little bit stressed for numbers. He can buy time, but um, probably more impressive last night was just his composure and speed to ruck and delivery was really really accurate, which which helped us get across the line. So you know, he's a young man with a with a huge amount of um, potential and a big future, but. Also, you know, he's a grounded man. He, he realises that we've got a couple of other good minds that have been doing well when they've been given their opportunities. So there's no right of pressure for him, but he made great fuss of it last night. Clayton, um, the, obviously you were missing a few last night as well, um, and, and obviously we don't know exactly uh, where everybody is at, whether it's injuries or, or illness, etc. But, um, you know, one, how pleased are you that missing a few that you would have liked to have had you managed to get this done and, and, and two how close are you to having a lot of those guys back um, yeah I, I think we're in a, a really good position I mean you never you never want to count your chickens before they hatch when, in this COVID world you know like you can have a fully fit squad and within the space of 24 hours you're going to be pretty decimated so um, yeah hopefully we, we stay fit and healthy but We've had a, um, a few dings and injuries, long-term injuries, and a few that have been dinged over the first couple of weeks of Super, but a lot of them I anticipate coming back um, this week. And then you know, the others that were um, that didn't take a part in this week's game because of the deemed sort of close context of confirmed COVID cases um, have since you know cleared. Um, they'll all come back into contention too. So we're getting to a really important part, sort of halfway through the. New Zealand League of, um, of the competition and you know, Hurricanes away this week, Crusaders the week after back at home. So, you know, it's pretty relentless. And the more bodies that you can have on deck, obviously, the more beneficial it is to your squad. Um, and, yeah, right now, it's looking pretty healthy. Um, and I, long may it stay that way. It's uh, 10.14 here on Mornings with Ian Smith-Ricardo in the hot seat. That was... Uh Myself and Justin Marshall yesterday on the Rugby Run here on SENZ, which you can catch every Sunday between 1 and 3, wrapping uh, the Super Rugby Pacific round. Talking to Clayton McMillan, the coach of the Chiefs, uh, some interesting stuff from him there about how they managed that win down there and what he said in the sheds at the second half, the things they changed uh, in the second half to get that win against the Crusaders in their own backyard. Uh, Make sure you check that out. The Rugby Run with... 
Bunnings trade between 1 and 3 every Sunday here on SENZ. Of course, more Super Rugby shows tonight. From 7 o'clock tonight, Justin Marshall and I are in the red talking Crusaders. And then from 7.30 to 8, Peter Alatini joins me for Pacific Flair where we cover off everything Moana Pacifica. Still to come in this hour, we are going to be talking uh, Love Racing with Louis Herman Watt, we'll have a uh, cross uh, with someone out of the TAB as well to get the uh, the big calls on today's action. And coming up soon, it is uh, the Dilma Expertise. Yeah, they're going to join us, a couple of absolute legends uh, of uh, sports journalism, Jamie Wall, Mark Watson. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Yes, this is the Dilmar panel here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat for Smithy while he's on the road with the Cricket World Cup. Uh, joining us, uh, our expertise for today is a man uh, whose name is now synonymous, I should say, if I can say it, uh, with rugby journalism in this country. Uh, he's written many books, including Brothers in Black, Jamie Wall. G'day, how are you? Good morning, Ricardo. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, and and our other expertise uh, comes from a man who has uh, commentated at Olympic Games, at Com Games, at uh, a whole bunch of uh, other sports, including I think baseball as well. He was our baseball commentator for a while for the Tuatara. Mark Watson. G'day. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Ricardo. Yeah, yeah. No, thoroughly enjoyed the baseball with the Tuatara. It's been um. It's been somewhat sad that we just haven't had them playing over the last sort of two years due to COVID, but hopefully we're all back in action at the end of the year. Yeah, fingers crossed. It'd be good to get them uh, back swinging, as it were. Hey, gentlemen, let's uh, start uh, our topics today by talking about the Chiefs beating the Crusaders. First time in, I believe, what, six years that a Chiefs team have gone and uh, won in Christchurch. Jamie, did you did you see it coming? Or was, For me, it was one of those games I went, this is going to be an arm wrestle, but in the end, the Crusaders will win. I uh, certainly didn't see the result coming. I was tapping the Crusaders uh, last week. Obviously, you know they haven't won in Christchurch since 2016, but barely anyone else has either. So, you know, that, uh, I think the Crusaders have a, have a very big home ground advantage that they um, that they take in as a bit of a mental edge into each, each home game. Um, uh, perhaps, perhaps the crowd not being there uh, helps the Chiefs a little bit. But even then, um, the, the Chiefs did have to do it the hard way, you know, coming back for that 11-point deficit and did so in the last six minutes. But I have to say, I have to say, after they scored the second-to-last try, I did have a feeling of, like, man, they're actually going to pull this off. And the, and that, that last try that Ramika Pohupi scored did feel quite inevitable. You know, they, 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 it really felt like they'd had everything under control um, and really looked like a team that was, was really confident in, in pulling off that, that victory. And I think a lot of it was down to Bryn Gatland, um, I have to say. He was, he was really impressive after, and a really uh, impressive way of bouncing back after the way that game at Eden Park finished last week. So some really pleasing stuff uh, from the Chiefs there uh, after that result against the Blues. And I think that they're really going to be there at the business end um, after that. But, um, yeah, also just a couple of question marks over the Crusaders, I think. Yeah. What about you, Mark? I know you're a Blues fan, mate, and the Blues got to go there next weekend. The Crusaders in this game made over 240 tackles, which is twice what they would normally make. Uh, As a Blues fan, that must give you a little bit of hope coming into this weekend. They might just be a bit battered, a bit bruised. 
<laughs> yeah, look, but I'm not sure the Blues are necessarily playing at their best either. They're looking very vulnerable at times. Um, still seem to just be able to drop their concentration at key moments and allow the opposition in. But look, just going back to that Chiefs performance, I, 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 you know, again, Bryn Gatlin, you know, arguably his best game in Super Rugby, arguably maybe his best game as we've seen as a professional. There has been sort of discussion over whether Warren Gatlin, you know, a couple of seasons ago, we didn't see him last year because of the Lions to whether he'd sort of brought back that um, British sort of coaching model of the ten-man game, and whether or not he had the ability to coach sides at a Super Rugby level, which is very much the fifteen-man game, and I think we saw a really nice balance with that Chiefs team. Um, you know, look, the Boschier brothers. I mean, you know, um, Caelan Boschier you know, steps in where his brother left off and sits. He looked magnificent. But what about Peter Gus um, Salkula, um, along with some of Sony? Um, um, uh, Tokyo, I mean, these are two guys who I think the All Blacks are desperately calling out for. You know, one of our big weaknesses in recent times is in the force, is getting across the advantage line. And, and look, I look at a guy like Peter Gus, so a cooler, and he just, I, I just don't, I hope they don't prejudice him just based on sort of his stature and the way he sort of looks and the way he carries himself. You know, I think the All Blacks in the past have sort of made this mistake of trying to. You know, look at the reasons why a player is not good enough. I, I think with the way things played out last year, I think we now need to start looking at players and say, why are they good enough? Now, look, admittedly, it is only early season here at the moment, but I thought those two players were simply magnificent. I think this boss year is all class. And saying that, um, how good was Plumtree for the Blues uh, wearing the number six shoes equally on Friday night against the Highlanders? I mean, where did he come from? So, look, loose forward stocks look good. Yeah, loose forward stocks, uh, stocks look very good. Yeah, Tane Plumtree, uh, John Plumtree's son. Six foot five, run around in a six jersey. Plenty of depth uh, there for not just uh, New Zealand rugby, for the Blues as well. Hey, Mark, uh, just uh, something that uh, Jamie brought up, and you've worked in high performance sport before, and I, yep. I, I just want to ask you about the mental toughness of someone like Bryn Gatlin. He misses that penalty in the last minute against the Blues uh, and then comes back with a performance like that, plays the full 80 in a hostile atmosphere in Christchurch and gets a win against the Crusaders. Uh, how, how tough is that and, uh, and, and what sort of process do you think he went through to get there? Well, I think it's time in the game now. I think he's matured. I think if he put himself in that situation three, four, five years ago um, when he was pretty much sort of a rookie beer playing for North Harbour, he might not have bounced back from it. That's what you expect. I guess that's why they're getting the starting roles, aren't they? Um, they're getting the start out there in the 10 years because they do have that mental fortitude. And I'll always say it. I mean, if you're going to pick an athlete, you always pick a guy with the top two inches over anything. And if you're not sure how to identify that, you know, maybe, and look, I'm going off track here, but maybe, you know, send them on to the courses and let those guys evaluate. But you're really, really um, gutsy performance indeed. Um, from Ben Gatlin to bounce back after a, a bit of a disaster, um, as you alluded to. Yeah. Now, uh, Jamie, uh, coming back to you, you, you know, you, uh, Mark there was mentioning mentioning a few names uh, in terms of people that could be in the All Black frame. I know Hooker is a specialty of yours uh, from your days in Paniki, uh, but you know, we are seeing, you know, it's the the salad days, I guess you'd say, of of Dane Coles. Uh, I don't know how much longer we have got Cody Taylor for. What do you make of our depth at Hooker at the moment from a national point of view? Uh, yeah, well, just just quickly back on Bryn Gatland, I, I think it's important to note that it's not actually the first time he's done that in the Super Rugby game. Um, if you remember, remember a couple of years ago, he slotted that droppy for the Highlanders against the Chiefs. Um, so, you know, the, the pedigree's there for a guy with ice in his veins. So, you know, I think it's definitely worth keeping on. But back to your original question, um, 
I'm a lot less concerned around the hooking position than I was, say, this time a year ago after the emergence of Samasone Takiyahu. I think he really could be the guy uh, that could carry the All Blacks for the next sort of next couple of World Cup Cup cycles um, if he stays healthy and fit. Uh, but behind him, yeah, there is a there is a little bit of a gap though. I mean, obviously Coles and Taylor are still there. I think Taylor is going to do enough to hang on to that starting spot um, the rest of the year. And Coles, you know, if he just manages his body all right, like he's there, he's got the experience, um, and uh, he, I guess he's got the motivation to take him through to the next World Cup. So I, like I said, I'm a lot uh, more comfortable with our hooking stocks at the moment. Um, behind that, though, yeah, I mean, if there's an injury or something, yeah, we might have a bit of a problem because I think I, I, I'm guessing like the next team off the rank could be um, uh, Liam Coltman or, or someone like that. So whenever you're sort of scratching your head thinking about like, who's coming next, there, there might be a bit of a problem there. But there is three solid options there at, at Hooker um, going into the season. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Kurt Eklund as well. He, he's had a good start to the season. How far away do you think he is? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I'd just like to see a bit more out of Kodak in terms of like minutes on the, on the ground. Um, I, I'd like to be able to see him in some pressure situations. This hooker is a spot where, when it really comes down to it and you're needing to score some tries uh, in the last 10 minutes, the, the pressure really is on, on the hookers to nail their line-out throws, nail their set-piece. Um, and I'd just like to see him put into those positions um, in those in that last team because if he was to make the All Blacks, that's when he's going to be coming on in games. Um, so to see him there at the end, uh, I'd like to see him kind of pass a few of those tests first. It is uh, 10.29 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo sitting in for him and uh, our Dilmar expertise are Jamie Wall and Mark Watson. We are going to talk Warriors. We are going to talk the White Ferns against Australia and more with the uh, Dilmar, Dilmar expertise. After this, it is Aroa with News and Sport. By Dilmar. Do try It is 29 away from 11 and back into the expertise panel. Thanks for waiting uh, there, gentlemen. Jamie Wall and Mark Watson with me. Of course, the NRL got uh, in action over the weekend. We saw the Warriors play the Dragons, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. Jamie, the Warriors, two points outside of the eight. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, this virtual home. Um, good to see they've uh, checked themselves in there uh, nice and early in the season. Um, but, yeah, it was a very... Ho hum start to the season uh, for them. Uh, the, uh, I saw a, enough out of Sean Johnson to think, like, well, if he can just sort of do a few more of those things on a weekly basis, like some, some stuff might be happening. Uh, worth mentioning that they, they are still missing, obviously, Matt Lodge and Reese Walsh, like the two guys who they are, you know, expecting to have big things out of the season. But that, that wasn't a great St. George team, but they. They, they lost to yesterday, and that's got to be kind of concerning. And uh, I just I just wonder if Nathan Brown is, is the right guy. If he just doesn't seem ambitious enough uh, to to take the Warriors where they where they should be, which is you know playoff contenders. And it just uh, feels like another one of those seasons where everything's going to get written off 
way way before the playoffs actually start. Um, but uh, happy to be proven wrong there, boys. Um, go out and prove me wrong, please. Yeah, yeah. Mark, um, I, I was talking to uh, some diehard Warriors fans uh, leading into this week, and they were looking at the draw and saying, you know, the first five games, the toughest opponent we've got is the Titans. We could be 5-0 and or 4-1 and after after five <laughs> games. Um, well, the, the, the one's already there, mate. I, I don't know. What was your take? Yeah, uh, did you ask those Warriors fans whether they believe in the Tooth Theory or the Easter Bunny or Father Christmas? Because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it, it's just season after season, isn't it? Is um, Nathan Brown the right coach? Well, how many coaches have we had? Look, I think it's still a bigger issue there. I was disappointed when he came out and said, look, let's just, you know, the goal was to make the eight. What do you mean make the eight? That's You've got a 50% chance of doing that. And all it does is extend your season by a week. You know, we should be we should be thinking about the top four. It's funny, the great running coach, Arthur Lydia, always used to say to Peter Snell and the boys, don't look at the New Zealand record book, look at the world record book, you know, aim high. But I think that one of the biggest problems with the Warriors is that, you know, it's rugby league trying to sort out rugby league. And I think the Warriors actually need to look outside of rugby league for some answers. Get some other people in some different sports who have a really good understanding of performance and high performance and systems. You know, we've had in the past players turning up overweight and... You know, somehow they're allowed to get away with it. If a player turns up to pre-season training overweight, they are not committed. They are going to let you down at some point. They clearly do not want this. And I found myself flicking between rugby league and the Crusaders on Saturday night. And, you know, we played okay in patches. I thought Sean Johnson actually played oh well. Fenua Blake played okay. But, you know, yeah, sort of the moment they come under any pressure on their own line, it's just like, oh, deja vu, deja vu. And then let's, you know, then everyone tell me how we, I don't get it. No, I do get it. We're not very good at it. And we've got to stop trying to just be this development team equally for New Zealand Rugby League. Just pick the best players. Whether they're all Australians, I don't care. This is not a national team, it's a franchise. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Uh, Jamie, in terms of um, where the problem is, I know you mentioned Nathan Brown, but I thought it was interesting from Mark that he said it might, uh, you know, how many coaches do you have to go through? I, I, you know, sort of compare it to somewhere like, say, Manchester United since Sir Alex Ferguson. How many managers have they gone through? But it's always the manager that uh, bites the bullet, but the same problems continue. I mean, do they need to look at Cameron George? Do they need to look higher up? Well, yeah, I mean... They they might as well because they've looked everywhere else. Um, it's 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 hard. It's really hard right now putting a cage on the Warriors because obviously they're doing it way tougher than every other team, and they're into their yeah, third season now of being based away from where they want to be, and it makes it a really difficult um, period for acquiring talent um, both on and off the field because you kind of don't know where you're going to be um, in, in a few months. Uh, so I'll give them that that bit of slack uh, straight off the bat. But, I mean, if you just look at the history of the Warriors and just how many coaches they've gone through, and then you look at successful teams, you know, dynasty teams, and what their coaching situation is, where, you know, the Broncos have Wayne Bennett for you know, 20 years. Um, and it's how the Warriors can acquire a guy like that, um, a, guy, a, guy like, a guy like Nathan Cleary, uh, uh, Ivan Cleary, rather, um, oh, I would have got Nathan Cleary as well, but and and hold on to him for a long, long time and let him build something out of it. Uh, because really, the, the NRL is very light on what you call premiership winning coaches, and the Warriors need to make themselves an attractive destination for not just players but coaches as well. And I've never managed to do that. Perhaps it's because they play in the crappiest part of Auckland. I don't know. 
uh, but they need to they need to make themselves a place where a decent coach wants to come. And I don't know how they're going to do that, uh, but they need to well, start looking for that. Yeah, but, but you do that by winning, don't you? That's the way you do it. You do it by winning. And again, I think it, 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 I, I do believe it goes higher up the chain. I think just I, I just think rugby league generally used to go on about the cricketers not understanding that, you know, the definition of a warm up was a cigarette, the definition of warm down was a beer. And I sort of still see that's a little bit with rugby league. You've only got to see the scandals that are constantly happening in the field when it comes to the NRL. Every week, there's someone doing something dumb. Doesn't matter how much education, there are just people doing dumb things. Um, look, in regards to should we you know, give them a little bit of a cuddle because they're playing away from home. Well, look, you know, three years ago, they finished 13th. They were playing at home. They had all their family and they were still crap. Um, it doesn't wash with me. There's people here losing businesses. There's people here who are working 80 hours a week in a toothbrush factory to go along and try and support these clowns. And they just need to take a long, hard look at themselves. Yeah, nicely said, Mark. Uh, don't hold back. Don't hold back. He never does. Uh, Mark Watson, uh, one of our uh, Dilmar expertise here with us. And uh, Mark, I'll stick with you. Just uh, a final subject, uh, the White Ferns, the collapse against Australia. What is it with uh, the White Ferns and when something is on the line, when the, when the pressure is on, when this is for real and not just a warm-up game or whatever, uh, they seem to mentally not be able to cope. We saw it in that Windies game and we saw it again yesterday against an Australian team who we'd convincingly beaten in a warm-up match. Yeah, look, I think psychologically both our men's and women's cricket team just seem to have this big sort of uh, mental block when it comes to playing Australia and cricket on the big occasions. Uh, look, I, I just don't think we're very good. And if you actually look at the record of the White Ferns in the last couple of years, we haven't played well in England last year. We haven't played well in Australia in recent times. And again, they come into this World Cup, they win a couple of warm-up games against them, you beat Australia and suddenly everybody's feeling them to be world champions. Um, we just simply don't have the depth. I also think, too, that I think they've been manufactured and promoted to sort of um, the same level as the men's team in regards to ability and celebrity, and I just don't think a lot of them can handle it. And I don't think a lot of them, to be perfectly honest, deserve it just at this point in their careers. Yeah, Jamie, your take on, on, on the Ferns and what we saw yesterday, that collapse, and, the, and even the fact that they didn't manage the game. I mean, you know, tournament, uh, net run rate could be important, but mm. they couldn't bat out the 50 overs in a loss either. Well, you talk about the Warriors being disappointing. This is far worse, in, in my opinion. I mean, uh, let me get this straight. There's, there's no shame in losing to the Australian women's cricket team, given the, the amount of talent and resources that they have at their disposal. It's no shame to even be thumped by them. Uh, but to leave 20 overs or unbulk out there in a, in a limited overs match in a tournament, uh, that's unforgivable, in, in my opinion. Uh, and you don't need... Uh, coaching staff or someone running out to tell you like, hey, like this is a situation now, we need to just bat this out so we have a better chance of making semi-finals. The players should have known that. They really should have. Um, and, I mean, they, they played the first things pretty well. I thought, you know, 269 was, it's a competitive total, but competitive means it's achievable uh, for the other team as well. But the Aussies just cleaned them out in the first, I think, seven overs, took away any chance of New Zealand possibly winning that game. And it should have been in the minds of the players, like, okay, how do we solve something out of this? And, you know, I was just incredibly disappointed uh, by the way that game unfolded. Yeah, no, good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks very much. This has been our Dilmar panel with our Dilmar expertise coming from Jamie Wall and Mark Watson. I really appreciate your time, gentlemen. Go well and enjoy your day. Thanks, Ricardo. Cheers, Cisco. Cheers. Uh, there we go. I'm Mark Watson, Jamie Wall with us. Still to come on the show uh, this hour, we're going to catch up with Louis Herman Watt shortly for a Love Racing update and Paulie Mawadi from the TAB as well. I don't mind opening the batting. 
Actually, I've done it before. So tune in to Baz and Izzy for breakfast on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 14 away from 11 here. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith on SENZ. Coming up, Love Racing update uh, with Louis Herman Watt and a TAB cross as well with Paulie Mawate from the TAB. But speaking of the TAB, uh, boys... I had a great, uh, I had a great run over the weekend. It's got to be said. Started on Friday. Uh, I was filling in on drive with Manaya and because uh, Kirsten Beaver away, and Greg O'Connor from Harness Racing New Zealand gave me a tip on uh, race three at Addington on Friday, saying, "Look, there's a hundred thousand guarantee here. There's only seven horses in the field. If you uh, if you jump on no terror to win it, and then box the rest, you can't lose." And I managed to do that. And uh, with the last sort of twenty dollars I had in my account, and turned that into like sixty bucks roughly, which I was quite happy with. But then I thought, well, it's free money I'm playing with, so I, I put a bet on. I, I chucked twenty bucks on uh, the Crusaders Chiefs, either team to win by seven and under, um, and that was paying three twenty. And I chucked it in there and multied it up with Ireland to beat England and Scotland to put thirty points on Italy. And that came in and paid 155. I was like, oh, well, that's good. You know, this is more free money. So this is what I tend to do. Um, and then I was watching Manchester United Spurs. Um, and I, I say that quietly because I know Smithy's a Spurs fan. And he won't be happy with that result. But it was 2 1. And I was like, these teams are both so open. There's going to be more goals. Over three and a half goals in the game was paying $1.57. So I chucked a hundy on that. That came in about two minutes later. And then they had an option for Cristiano Ronaldo, who had scored the first two for United, to be the next goal scorer. And uh, I got on that as well as paying seven dollars ten. Chucked fifty five on that. That paid out to three ninety. So at that that point, I'm laughing, and I pulled three hundred out, reinvested some of it, and I reinvested on the Eels to beat the Titans unders, and the Dogs to beat the Cowboys head to head. Put a hundred on that. Was paid returned six ten. And I also saw Wolves, who had been travelling all right, were playing Everton overnight, who have been rubbish. And Wolves were paying 3.30, so I chucked a hundy on that, and that came in as well at 3.30. So I pulled about a, just over a grand out of the TAB over the weekend. So uh, quite quite happy about that, uh, Logan. If you want any tips, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, mate. To be honest, the whole time you're telling that story, I'm like, when does the moment come where it all came crashing down? So that was, that's really awesome. I love little tipping stories like that. Uh, what are you going to do with your winnings there? Well, you know how I've been filling in, in for everybody, like Drive and Breakfast and Smithy. Uh, next week I've got the week off and it's the Mrs. Birthday. So we're going to Waiheke for a few days and, you know, that's not going to be cheap. So that's probably where that's going, to be fair. Good call, good call. Yeah, you know, happy happy wife, happy life. That's what they say. Never, never a wise word spoken. I don't no. think, Logan. No, I, I'm a couple of years happily married, and I completely agree with that sentiment. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one we have to agree with. Uh, now, the Love Racing update with Louis Herman. What's not too far away? We'll also get some tips from Paulie Mawadi as well. See if he can uh, t- tip us on to some more winners. They're all right here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yeah, and uh, as usual, when it comes to talking love racing uh, with loveracing.nz, Louis Herman Watt joins us. And Louis, a big weekend of racing, particularly across the ditch at Flemington, eh? 
Yes, Rick Dog. Did you watch it? Be honest. Did you watch the New Market Handicap? Are you a patriot? I didn't. No, I, I, I'm completely barefaced honest. I did invest in it. I kind of looked at Levante's form and thought, oh, that's worth an each way. So I chucked an each way on that. That didn't come in. But man, who didn't tip me onto Rock and Horse winning, uh, paying ninety five ninety for the win? Look, we can only. Um... <laughs> We can only congratulate, but also begrudge uh, little Avondale Stud and the, the wonderful group of owners down there who would have had a little slice of it themselves. Sammy Williams told us this morning he took the 35s the night before. He didn't take the tote price to so wait for the drift on the day. Um, there's a few people around New Zealand that got a, that got a bit. Paul Mawadi will tell you more in a second. But look, I mean, to be honest, and I said this, you could probably go find the clip of me saying, Someone, I think as you said, does Levante have a chance to win the um, to win the tracks to win the new market? And I said, um, yes, she does because we've had so many New Zealand great New Zealand horses that have gone over the years against the odds and knocked them off. We have made a quite quite the history of winning big races in Australia. We have the horse flesh. We know that we've got the equine IQ uh, and IP. We know that, but. I can't really see it happening. And I was right, because Levante didn't do it. But we both, and we all kind of really just assumed because Rock and Horse hasn't bet Levante yet, that that meant that Rock and Horse couldn't do it either. What we forgot, though, is Rock and Horse absolutely flew at Levante in the telegraph. They ran a world record time that day. We just assumed something was wrong with the clock or the starting gates that weren't at the right point. <laughs> maybe they're just the best sprinters in the world. Maybe, maybe Rock and Horse and Levante, who won the race up the... Side. I just the best sprinters in the world, and I guess we'll find out over the next month or so. I guess we will, mate. I guess we will. When do we see them run next? Good question. Um, there are a few more sprinting, uh, um, big sprints on the calendar um, in the autumn up in Sydney as well, where it gets a bit wet. I dare say they will stay, and they will they will both put themselves back into the next big sprint. They might, I mean, unfortunately now, weight for age might be the way to go because she'll be reweighted now. The lightweight rocking horse won't get again. Um, Levante was huge. Home Affairs, Mask Crusader, and Lost and Running, it's fair to say, were all disappointing. Artorius was huge, only if Craig knew it had stayed to the, uh, the rail side. I think the sprinting races for the rest of the spring, uh, autumn in Australia are going to be really fascinating to watch, Rick. Dog. And just quickly, before you kick on, um, a huge day at Ellerslie yesterday, departing the, or sending off the old track, renovations going on over the next two or so years. Uh, Paul Wilcox, it's great to, great to be able to be there yesterday and send it off. I took Kez and Joe, and we had a great day. Clado was there. It was a lot of fun. Um, and congratulations to Lickety Split and, of course, Coventina Bay, Group 1 winners from yesterday in New Zealand. Just a couple of wonderful, uh, Philly and Amir, and there's so much good stuff happening in New Zealand racing at the moment. I just hope that we can keep COVID away so Levin Classic this weekend and Oaks Day at Trenton gets to be run in full. Good stuff. Good stuff, Louis. Thanks very much, mate. That is our Love Racing update with loveracing.nz. Time for Paulie Mawadi now from the TAB. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. And, Paul, uh, when you got to work today, uh, did you see any clear desks after somebody uh, allowed Rock and Horse uh, to uh, to be bet on at 95.90 and it came in to win? <laughs> There's a few punters that uh, jumped on. I, I think the biggest price fix that we had on Rock and Horse to win the new market was $81. And there were a few that jumped on. Don't worry about that, uh, Ricardo.
Um, yeah, it was a great day for uh, uh, all the connections. Uh, little Avondale start, of course. Um, just fantastic. And, of course, Levante um, finished fourth uh, and, and was sort of the first horse home um, on the inside of the track, uh, on the grandstand side of the track, because, uh, as you know, in Flemington down the straight there, um, they can sometimes split and some go towards the uh, inside rail and some go towards the uh, grandstand side and Levante uh, took the outside, uh, took that uh, route home. So, And I was watching her and then didn't realise that Rockin' Horse was getting up on the inside. Well, it's, uh, it was fantastic. Just a fantastic race uh, for New Zealand. Yeah, now just uh, quickly, Paulie, because we are running out of time, what have you got for us today? Uh, we've got a bonus back promotion on the first four races from Morfittville today. Of course, it's Adelaide Cup Day today, so we're doing a bonus back promotion on the first four races there. Um, the best back in race one, looks like an omen bet for you, uh, Ricardo. Number one, mac and cheese. Uh, $4 <laughs> into $2.80. <laughs> All over it, mate. All over it. Can I put sauce on that? <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, right. Foley. Enjoy, enjoy Waiheke Island next week, big guy. Will do, mate. All new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. On SCNZ. A chance for a big kick. Will it be Moses? Will it be Gutherson? Gutherson decides to run. Moses to Russell! 19 years of age at home and a hat-trick in the first half. So both teams getting through their opening sets after the break. Will Smith, who captained Parramatta in round 25 last year. The kick is taken on the ball by Philip Sami. Philip Sami, has he got a cape on underneath that jersey? He can fly. Sami Airlines. Sami Airlines, a three past 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And uh, joining us uh, from SEN in Sydney, uh, the voice of Rugby League, the man you just heard there, Andrew Voss. What a call and what a game, Vossie. Uh, good morning. Yeah, still in the studio this morning. I was really impressed with the first round of football. One, one it's great to have uh, Rugby League back and we've got the NRLW underway. I know there's no Warriors side competing this year, but to have... Three games as well as the eight NRL games. It really makes for a big, well, from Thursday night on, your, your, your schedule's sorted. Uh, and I thought the quality of rugby league for a first round, I mean, there were some bludges. I mean, last night, Bulldogs, uh, Cowboys put me to sleep. But I think on the main, there was some pretty good footy played. There was some really good footy played, mate. And maybe from some uh, some teams we didn't expect. I mean, we rewind to Thursday and you looked at the, some of the, the, the uh, names that the Panthers had lost in the offseason, the mm. likes of Momorowski, of course, uh, Capewell as well. Um, and of course, no Nathan Cleary. I mean, I was all over Manly in that game. I thought surely Manly will come out of the blocks and, and, and beat the Panthers here, but the, they weren't even close. Can we not talk about tips? I mean, seriously, <laughs> i got, got two. Yes, I was on the Manly bandwagon, and, and it was as much around Trebojevic in, Tom, mm. Nathan Cleary out. And, you know, I was just thinking just on those star players, but you know, Manly were lucky to get the try before half time. I mean, that was totally against the run of play. Um, but Penrith, total control, real statement, like there was an aura with Penrith, and I, you know what? I, I actually thought this when I went out and interviewed them this year for the fan. Like, this is weeks and weeks before the start of the season that I thought there was a, with the success of last year, come a, a newfound maturity as well. The players were sort of 
even more professional than what you expect from the team. Like they know they're good, Penrith, mm. and um, and they carried that onto the field. So forget trial form. They got beaten thirty six nil. 36-0 they got beaten by Parramatta in the trials. And then they come out first round and they ticked just about every box. It was a very, very good start to the season from a defending Premier. Yeah, it was. Uh, and and it looks like more more trouble brewing for the team they beat in the grand final. It's all gone um, uh, from bad to worse for the Rabbitohs, hasn't it? I mean, Anthony Milford was supposed to come in and fill the, the Reynolds gap. But, of course, um, he couldn't uh, keep his stuff together off the field. He's in all sorts of trouble. So he hasn't happened. They've had to go to youngsters. They've had a coaching change. They should have put away a Broncos side that was going to be without mm. Adam Reynolds and they played really poorly. Oh look, last year South Sydney scored more points and more tries than they've done in any one of the seasons. And they, they, they came they were there on the first year, 1908. So they only missed a couple of seasons along the way. For a Rabbitohs side, like that's even to me that's an even bigger shock than the scoreline, even though the, the, the scoreline uh, or you know the Broncos win surprised me. If you had have told me before the game, Rabideau's only going to score one try against Brisbane, I would have said, you, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy. Mm. Um, but South scored just the one try against the Brisbane defence, which dead set has been hopeless for a couple of seasons and was still very questionable, I thought, in the pre-season trials. I, I wasn't exactly seeing a great deal of improvement, but I saw a lot of effort the other night. I see great, great potential with Brisbane. Now that Katoni Staggs is back fit, They've got this young Selwyn Cobbo out on the right wing who is just a beautiful mover. Um, th- there's some things happening there uh, for, for the Broncos. If they can get it right and Adams Reynolds comes in. But for South Sydney, you're right. Of the teams who lost the first week, and an old coach told me, well, they all win one, lose one early. But I'm most concerned about the Rabbitohs. They just didn't look didn't look a happy side. Um, and, and, you know, that's just my first observation of South Sydney in that game. Lost both their trials and then beaten by Brisbane round one. Um, new coach, the post-Bennett era, has never been good at any other club. Might be the same at South's. Might be. Uh, if Adam Reynolds is fit round two, um, mm-hmm. Billy Walters, Albert Kelly, who who, who disappears? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? They Look, they both played well, Walters and Kelly, maybe because Reynolds is, well, at South Sydney, you know, a right-side player that you'll keep Walters on the left. Um, that That's maybe the way you go, half-back for half-back and keep your 5'8", your 5'8". Uh, and we saw on the bench the other night, Brisbane carried Tyrone Roberts. He, well, he didn't get a lot of game time. Maybe, you know, Kelly's the player relegated and he... he plays a bench role of some kind, and Roberts uh, drops out of the 17. Anyway, that's a good problem to have. Brisbane haven't had that problem around their halves last season. They used a 1,000 different half 5-8 combinations, kept changing. This one, they're doing it to boost it with the return of the man they've named as captain for the new season. Yeah, and uh, we saw also on Friday, of course, the Raiders get up over the Sharks, uh, which is which has got to be good for Ricky because obviously you know uh, there are wags that obviously have him put now into oh, yeah. uh, into the team he should be picking <laughs> yeah, it's and, well it's, and it and yeah. and it, and it's uh, just goes to show that uh, maybe Sticky does know more than the wags. Well, the tag they hate to the Raiders over the last couple of years has been the faders because mm. they have been the faders in so many matches where they've had leads, and you thought, oh no, here they go again. Like they led eighteen six and then. They lead by 12 to trail by one going into the last five minutes, but they're able to get that late try. So happy for them. But I must say, an overview of both teams in that match, plenty of room for improvement.
in my opinion, Raiders and Sharks. I mean, Nico Hines has gone there because he wants to um, nail down a position and and not just be this guy who's a utility. What do you make of him as a seven? Because I always considered him more of as a as a fullback. Mm. I like. I, I look. I'm I'm um, happy with uh, Hines to be in the halves, and people will tell you, does it matter whether it's seven or six? They they just have to work out the responsibility between. Uh, Braley at hooker. Yeah, you need an effective spine, and they need to get their hands on the ball a lot. Well, the dummy half obviously will, but they just need to sort out who's getting what when, and that is Hines, Moylan, Kennedy. So they're playing together as a trio for the first time um, in in the NRL. As I said, plenty of room for improvement, but I like Hines being in the halves. I think he'll be an asset for Cronulla, and he's their goal kicker as well. Yeah, here's here's that. Now uh, we speak about upsets. Boy, I think the, the Knights were paying nearly five dollars to roll the Roosters, and everybody. I told had... you not to talk about tips. I didn't tell you that. I did ask that <laughs> kindly. Yes, you, you did. Sorry, 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 Vossi. Uh, mm, yeah, another about loser for me. <laughs> PTSD from your weekend tips, but I mean, every Roosters fan I talked to in the lead up to the season was telling me about how they were back. They had these great young players. Mm. They uh, they were going to be you know gunning for the minor premiership. Watch out! Uh, the Roosters were going to be there at the point. End. It certainly didn't look like that against the Knights. It was it was underwhelming, wasn't it? But I but I have more faith in the Roosters bouncing straight back than I do the Rabbitohs. I don't know why that is, but um, I'd rather praise the team that won Newcastle because um, apart from a disallowed try early to the Roosters, uh, from there on, Knights were completely on top. It's almost like. They got through the first 15, 20 minutes and then started to believe in themselves. It it really was a flicking of the switch moment. And Newcastle, right across the board, started to probably look to their left. He can play. He goes all right. Like, yeah, a newcomer. Dane Gagai back in the centres on the right side. Outstanding. Adam Clune slipped into number seven. Very impressive. Coaching of Andrew Johns has obviously had an impact at Newcastle. And uh, I, I thought a very, very good, a very controlled and accomplished performance. There weren't too many errors from Newcastle. And the fact they only conceded a try in the 77th minute, I think that would have made Coach Adam O'Brien happiest. The fact that they kept their line intact until the final three minutes of the match. Tell you who really impressed me out of that night's lineup was Bradman Best. It should be Bradman on the left. Beast. Mate, I mean, yes. how how big and good was he? You know, he just he just went great guns and uh, made every post a winner right throughout that match, regardless of who he was up against. Oh, I agree. And if you have got Kalen, yeah, you know, it becomes a, a simple formula, doesn't it? You got Ponga injecting wherever he likes from fullback. If you go left, you got Best. You know, give him early ball; he can beat a man. You go right, you got Dane Gagai. You don't have to get fancy. Just give him early ball. See if he can beat his man one on one. So yeah, there, there's there's that's a really good point of attack or points of attack for Newcastle to work on and with two points in the bank against one of the high flyers. Yeah, a really good solid 13, the Knights. Uh, I just look to their bench and think there's a, there's a lot of young guys, a lot of an experience there. Um, but if they're lucky if they're lucky with injuries this season, I mean, how far do you think they can go? Oh, well, look, they've made the finals the last two years. I thought they, look, to be perfectly frank, I thought they were lucky to make the finals last year. I think the draw favoured them. But the fact is they still made it, and they have done the last couple of years. If I'm Newcastle, I'm not wanting to take a backward step. I certainly don't want to go from qualifying for the finals two years to being an also-ran. So at the very least, um, the Knights to be around the same again last year, competing for a place in the finals. But I think there's a lot of them. You know, I, look, I have Canberra Sharks, sides like that, all competing 
for the same one or two positions. So, you know, the Dragons, I think, are going to be big improvers and, and showed it in round number one. Um, you know, so the sides like that are going to be competing for those bottom sides, bottom sides in the top eight. Yeah, yeah. With well, the Dragons, to be honest, I thought the Warriors might get them at just the right time because there was so much upheaval in that squad. I thought it might take take a while uh, for them to get the combinations together. But uh, you're right, the Dragons looked pretty good for a lot of yesterday. Well, you've all heard the cliche, the game of two halves. This was the game of three-thirds, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, the Dragons lead 12 nil early. Um, then it's the Warriors' turn in the second third, and they got up 16-14. And in the last third of the match, it's the Dragons taking over, um, scoring the last three tries of the match. So the game of three-thirds won by the Dragons. I saw promise for the Warriors. So certainly, they'd be disappointed to have conceded uh, 28 points and not to have been uh, you know, tough enough when the game was on the line at the finish. Um, it's not one that got away. Dragons deserve the win, but the Warriors wouldn't be, you know, uh, you know looking for the razor blades today. I mean, uh, you know, it's a performance that they can build on. There is definitely something to work with there. Yeah, and a familiar position for them uh, already this season, two points outside of the eight, Vossi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, over here, our back page story has the Bulldogs are in the eight, so people are getting carried away. There's street parades in Canterbury today <laughs> on the back of one win uh, there's a ticker tape parade. The first time they've been in the eight for five years or something at any stage. First time, and it's only one game into the season, but they'll take it. They'll take it. When you win, rub it in. You've got to learn that. You've got to, what you've got to do. You've got to learn that. You've got to learn. Uh, the, the question, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump and seeing that you've brought it up. I thought Duffy had a good game for them, um, and uh, Matt Burton as well seems to be finding his feet as a six at this level. But Jake Avarillo, is he a good enough halfback for Canterbury to be in a, a top eight team? Well, I'll I'll go to um, or pass on the advice of someone like Matty Johns, a playmaker, Greg Alexander. The answer is probably no, um, that it's probably too much pressure, not a natural halfback. So that puts more pressure on the 5'8 Burton to take control. Now, he's playing his first NRL game for a new club. And you've got to remember, he was one of the Dally M centres of the year. He didn't get too many chances at 5'8". So he's still a very much a rookie. He's a grand final winner, but he's a rookie in terms of Five eights and playmakers in the competition. So uh, you, you would think you'd have to give Burton time to add his authority. Avarillo has to go along for the ride. Jeremy Marshall King is a is a capable player, but you wouldn't say that he's in the top bracket of number nines in the competition. You mentioned Dufty. Yeah, he's a strike weapon into their spine at fullback. But I, it was a really hard watch last night. I'm going to have to see more of the Bulldogs before I reach a conclusion on where they're actually at and how much they can improve this year because they got the points last night. I'm really happy for them, but uh, the game was a bludger with a capital B. Yeah, and you saw exactly what the Bulldogs are going to be getting next season uh, in the earlier game on Sunday with Reed Marnie running the show for the Eels. I mean, I know defensively the Eels weren't happy with what they put out there. They did manage to sneak the win against the Titans in the end, 32-28, but I mean, how good is Reed Marnie and can you believe that Para yeah. haven't found the money to keep him? Getting better and better, Reed Marnie. Uh, Bulldogs also got Viliami Kickout headed their way uh, next year, so they're, they're building up. But no, Marnie's a, a, such an important component of Parramatta, and one of the reasons why they are going to be there at the business end. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, in the, in the shape of Mitchell Moses, perhaps we've already seen his best. I'm not saying he's in, on de- in decline, but I'm saying we've seen his best. Clint Gutherson, I think we've seen his best. They then have Reed Money at nine, who's getting better and better. And Dylan Brown, I want to see more of Dylan. Only the three try assists last year. 
I thought, again, yes, I'm not putting his stamp, but I still think a player well worth investing a lot of time in, a very talented player. So if they get that all right, if Marty and Brown continue to improve and Moses and Gutherson are now at their peaks, look out, Parramatta. It could be 36 years since the last premiership. It just could be. It could be. You know, Sean Russell was impressive with his hat-trick before going off with that rib injury. Um, and when he went off, that meant that uh, Jake Arthur had to come on. But he mm. didn't go out wide. He ended up with his hands on the ball more than Dylan Brown. I thought that was a mistake from Brad Arthur. Yeah, Wanga Blake went out on the wing. Yeah, well, I suppose coaches have to come up with things on the run. If you think about it, uh, and I said during the call, I mean, Russell scored down Micah Sivo's wing. Now, Sivo's going to be out until June. Um, I haven't heard confirmation yet where there is actual fractured ribs for Russell, but these are all things that you have to contend with that, you know, if Nia Kore comes back in the side, we saw him last year do very well as a stopgap centre for Parramatta. Look, they might have to reshuffle things that way uh, come team list Tuesday tomorrow. Um, overall, Parramatta, they they were disappointed because they considered as many points as they did. I mean, there were nine tries in the first half, 5-4 uh, to the Eels, and then conceding a try after half time, but I think put the two points in your pocket, move on. There's far more positives than negatives about Parramatta right at this point. Yep, indeed. And that leaves us one game we haven't touched on. A lot of people's wooden spoon favourites, the Tigers, uh, and the man who's who's, who's probably uh, leading uh, the race for the sack, if this was in the UK football, um, Michael Maguire, they put in a pretty good effort against the Storm, I thought. I think most people had the Storm winning this by 40. Yes, they did. Um, and over here, there's all these uh, last man standing and survivor competitions where you have to pick a lock, uh, as in a team that's definitely going to win. And if you do that, you go on to the next week. Well, if given that the Roosters got beaten, if Melbourne had been beaten as well, pretty much everyone was voted off the island, off the survivor island. Um, Melbourne just showed us championship qualities because it wasn't just the fact that they weren't playing well and they found their form during the game. They did it with all that adversity. The injuries, Brandon Smith... From the opening minutes, the broken hand. Jennings does his knee. He's gone for the year. Christian Welsh does his Achilles in open pasture. You know, terrible accident for, for Christian Welsh now gone for uh, four or five months. Um, to put that behind in the run of play against the Tigers side that was surging was was impressive. And it's in, it, it is one of the more incredible records in the NRL. Craig Bellamy, longtime coach of the Storm, has never lost in round number one. That's incredible. That is, and considering his career, that is insane. That is a, that is a crazy stat. Good stuff, uh, Vossi. Hey, listen, I know you've just finished a show, mate, and I know you've got things to do, so I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on uh, to SENZ and joining us here, mate, and um, I guess they, we'll just have to see what happens with the Storm. I think they get Harry Grant and a, and a, and a few others back for next week, but boy, their uh, mm. depth is going to be tested this season, isn't it? Yeah, well, I hope that they haven't got the Roosters disease from last year. You know, the Roosters were just crippled by injuries basically right from the start. They had players retire during the season. So um, let's hope that's not the case with Melbourne. There is a There was a story here yesterday saying that they are maybe wheeling and dealing with Tarek Sims to get him out of the Dragons, but um, obviously both clubs would have to come to the table on an agreement with that one. The Dragons would have to pay you know, a, a sum of his contract for the rest of the year. So we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff, Fossey. Go well, mate.
Will do. Have a great week, everyone. Yep, you too. Uh, Andrew Voss there with us, the voice of Rugby League from SEN in Sydney. It is uh, coming up 20 past 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. While he is on the road with the World Cup, keep your texts coming through to the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost like no other. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Your thoughts from the NRL weekend. To your laughs and occasionally a tough question or two. It's Baz and Izzy for breakfast on SEN. CNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. All aboard and bring your offerings. That's me! It's SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in the hot seat with Smithies on the road with the Cricket World Cup. It is 11.26 here. And uh, interesting story coming out of Chelsea because, of course, the British government have sanctioned Roman Abramovich. They've frozen all his assets. Uh, that means he can't operate in the UK at all. It also has had an impact on Chelsea Football Club. Uh, one of the things they can't do is they can't sign new players. They can't offer contracts to current players who deals are um, selling out uh, or running out, I should say. Uh, if you've got a, a season ticket, you can go to the game, but you can't buy a ticket if you're a casual fan or if you're an away fan, they're not allowed to sell tickets. They can't sell merch either. So a lot of restrictions being put on. And if you want to buy the club, you've got to approach the British government. And uh, Abramovich is said to have wanted about three to four billion pounds for the uh, for the club and uh, there's a guy Nick Candy who's a British property developer who is putting together a consortium to potentially buy it. I know there's a few people interested, Logan, but uh, he's got a different twist on it as well, maybe something to get the fans on side. Yeah, surprisingly, with a name like Candy, there isn't actually anything to involve with chocolate or sweets <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, no, if... Nick Candy uh, buys the club. He's offering Chelsea fans a seat on the board, uh, which would be interesting. I mean, that's like a fantasy dream for a lot of sports fans if something like that happened, that you know that they are going to give those people that pay their hard-earned money for tickets a, a voice like that. Interestingly enough, uh, apparently he's trying to fetch almost $6 billion. I assume this is US dollars, $6 billion, uh, for the club. That's huge money. Huge money, and interesting to see what happens to that money. Given that all Abramovich's uh, assets in the UK are frozen, does that money then go to the government? Does it sit in an account uh, until it's resolved and then gets doled out? I mean, how does it actually work? Who knows, man? I mean, there's still so much to come out about this. You know, there's also the whole thing that with the sale, he wanted to put proceeds back to helping uh, victims of the war, I believe, on both sides. But yeah, uh, there is, like I said, just still so much to go. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see Nick Candy buy the club. And I mean, we uh, had a text come through here before on the Temper Bear Post text machine that potentially SNZ should be buying the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. I've sent that through to Hutchie as some investment advice from Jason in Melbourne, who did text that through. But I am yet to hear back from Hutchie as yet. So uh, hold the hold the phone on that one as to whether or not SNZ will be the owners of the Warriors in the near future. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> you can imagine that. 
I just, I mean, I would love to see uh, people like Wadangi Kupo in that or just get all big <laughs> on it. That'd be awesome. I mean, I love the Warriors. We all love the Warriors. I just, I just want to see good for them. And I mean, we said the same thing about the Breakers. Apparently, I said some harsh words about them last last week. But again, we we love the team when we want to see them succeed. There's a lot of great players on that team. I mean, I love seeing Sean Johnson back in those colours as well. We just bring it home. Yeah, exactly. You can criticise a team you're a fan of because that's part of being a fan, right? You, you want to see the best for it, so you can you can criticise it when it's when it's uh, devo- uh, when it's deserved. I think um, so. There you go. Uh, we'll continue that conversation later on. Hey, stumped uh, with me, stumped by Ricardo is on its way. If you want to get into that, give us a call 0800-150-811-0800-150-811. And also make sure um, if you tune into SENZ, tune in on a Sunday between eleven and twelve for G- uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by uh, Greyhound expert. Mark Rosanowski and Andy Cook as well. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Stumped by Ricardo. We're going to do that after the news and sport, which is right now. The all new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Seat nice and warm for him while he's on World Cup commentary duties. Uh, and it is potentially time for Ricardo to redeem himself after last <laughs> week's fumbles, isn't it, mate? Uh, well, I had a shocker. <laughs> yeah, you did. But also, I think Staffy didn't do so great either. So it jackpotted up to $150, and that actually was won on Friday, which was great. Uh, up today, $50 worth of TAB vouchers up for grabs, along with some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us now at the crease is Charlie from Geraldine. Come in, mate. G'day, fellas. How are you? Good, good. Hey, so you've got three sporting categories to choose from today. If you can answer all three questions correctly, then you can win it all. But if you get a question wrong, it's over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off. Today's topics are track and field, super rugby, and baseball. Take your pick. Oh, we're probably both not very familiar. We'll go baseball. Woohoo! Oh, you just made my day, Charlie. I've been <laughs> waiting for that for so, so long. Ricardo here. I don't know what your baseball uh, knowledge is like, but patchy, see how we go. Patchy at best. Okay. We had Mark Watson on the worth the time. <laughs> okay. First question to you, Charlie. After a long, long title drought, the Chicago Cubs finally broke their curse and won a World Series in 2016. But prior to that, when was the last time the Cubs won? And I'll give you a hint, because it has been such a long time. It was before World War One. Oh, Whoa. Whoa. Ooh, so we'll go 19.08. Wow. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Outstanding, mate. You had that ready to fire in the barrel. Would you have had that one, Ricardo? Uh, I had that one. I had that one. Okay, good. That was an awesome story. Awesome story that they finally broke the curse. Uh, Going a bit local with question number two here, Charlie. The Auckland Tuatara entered the Australian Baseball League in the 2018-19 season. Their home stadium then, uh, or is now, North Harbour. But what was the name of their home ground during their first season? Oh, wasn't it Tuatara? The name of the park that they played at. 
I don't know, mate. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Or perhaps a baseball diamond on the on this occasion. Yeah. Ricardo, over to you. Uh, I'm struggling to remember the name of it. I went there. I went to the first game against the Bandits as well. It's in West Auckland. It's in Teatatu. It's down the end of McLeod Road. Uh, so I'm going to say McLeod Reserve. I can't give that to you. I can't. It's, I'm it's sorry. the home of the West Auckland Football Club. Yeah, no, really close, but I can't give that to you. It's McLeod Park. Oh. oh, sorry, man. I'm going to be a stickler for details oh, here. Oh man! <laughs> but yes, Indiana to South. Charlie, you're still in it, mate. You're still in it. Go for it. You're right. Question number three. You could win the fifty dollars TAB vouchers and the sleep drops. Daytime revive. My beloved Toronto Blue Jays were back-to-back World Series champions back in the nineties. What years were they? Oh, um. I'll say two and three. That's a couple of chips on the wicket. Right in the slot. And the wicket goes. There you go, boy. $50 TAB vouchers and the sleep drops. All to you, Ricardo. You're shaking your head, mate. Oh, mate. Well, I had that one as well. So I, I was waiting I was waiting for him to, uh, to let one go through to the keeper, but he didn't. Uh, outstanding from you, Charlie. Hold the line, mate. Uh, are you so you, are you a big yes, baseball God. fan? Do you have a team or...? Oh, the Cleveland Indians, Sunday. Okay, nice. Cleveland Indians, oh, yeah, 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 nice. <laughs> have you been? To, have you been to a game, Charlie? I've never been over to Cleveland, Cleveland, mate. Never, but uh, one day. One day, yeah. yeah. Cleveland is a great city. I believe they're called the Guardians now, not the Indians. But yes, Cleveland is an yeah, awesome that's city. Right, yeah. If you ever go, yeah. head up uh, Mount. The most insane grilled cheese you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> uh, hold the line, Charlie, and uh, Brian will take your details. Yeah. Thank you, mate. So, uh, Logan, you're a Blue Jays fan. Why Blue Jays? Uh, so this came back because I lived in Toronto for a year, uh, and I, you know, I wanted to have a team that I could support, and so I went over there, went to a bunch of games, and it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, if I was going to have two teams, my other team would be the Dodgers. I have a lot of friends uh, in LA, so we get to go to games at Dodger Stadium. Dodger Dogs, highly overrated, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, right. I actually got a mate of mine who's a, a big Dodgers fan, and he went on some sort of scholarship thing where, or like exchange student thing, where he was living in and around LA for a year and going to school over there. And uh, he found this place, uh, like I say, a big Dodgers fan, that was selling all this Dodgers uh, merch and had the LA on it, and uh, but it was in different styles and stuff that he hadn't seen before. And so he was like, this is cool, I'll buy this. This is cool, I'll buy this. This is cool, I'll buy this. So he bought all this stuff. Um, he's uh, he's got uh, Maori heritage, so he kind of kind of blended in a little bit with some of the Mexican uh, uh, population there. And he was walking around. He said people kept crossing the street when he was wearing the stuff. He didn't get why. And then he found out that there's also a gang over there called uh, I think Los Americanos. And it was their gear he was wearing, not the LA Dodgers gear, but although it looked very similar. And uh, yeah, so you're probably lucky not to get shot. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Uh, we talked about the Tuatara just before. God, I can't wait till they can come back. And, you know, obviously COVID has affected the, the ABL season there. Didn't happen this year around, hopefully next year. And we do get the Auckland Tuatara back. I was quite heavily involved with that inaugural season as well. You know, I was uh, writing match reports for, for the Aussies, actually. Oh, cool. So I was up there above home play and 
Uh, I didn't get to go to a game uh, at North Harbour because while that was going on, I was living in Sydney. So can't wait to go to one and see the Teal Monster. Yeah, ah. that's going to be good. I haven't, I haven't been to Harbour Stadium, but I can't believe you didn't get me a, let me get away with calling it. It was McLeod. I had the name. Just the park reserve thing. Who cares? Come on, I had the McLeod. Come on, mate. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe uh, people listening to the show, was that a bit too hard on uh, Ricardo or was... Would I have gone that hard on Smithy? Who knows? Uh, I guarantee think, you wouldn't have. Well, I mean, <laughs> his name is in the show. Yeah, exactly. You're here, you're filling the seat. But uh, double eight, double three, was I too hard on Ricardo? Would you have given him the stumping? Sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. I can get you off of my mind. Why do I keep wasting my time? Man, you make it easy for me. So why can't I make you love me? This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. Uh, Will Smithy's on tour with the Cricket World Cup. And I apologise uh, up front for that music. That is not me, that is Logan. Um, if you are feeling so moved that you're in your, your, your Lycra hot pants, you've got your glow sticks and your whistles out, all power to you. But uh, not really my cup of tea, Logan. I, who even is that? So that is the Canadian artist Lights, who I'm a big, big fan of. She won a Juno Award for that song, actually. Did she? Love Must Me have been is a quiet the name year of it. in Canadian music. Well, um, maybe no Nickelback singles. <laughs> <laughs> I take Nickelback over whatever that was any day, just quietly. But Whoa, there you go. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So is that fighting talk? It's fighting talk. I think uh, I get. I definitely get that feeling. But um, now, Logan, we we said on uh, uh, before that. I thought I'd done enough uh, giving you McLeod Reserve um, when it was McLeod Park, but you wouldn't give it to me. And so we asked people to text in on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. We asked people to do that, and uh, I think I've been vindicated, Logan. Uh, to be honest, I believe you have too, a little bit. Uh, Brendan here, who, um, long-time listener of the show, he said he would give it to you. Uh, you're t- he says, I'm tough on the hosts, wouldn't let Staffy finish early to go watch the cricket last week. No, I wouldn't. I said, you could not finish <laughs> half an hour early, jump in your car and go to Hamilton. Says, I run a very tight ship. Well, I'm still learning as we go, but yeah, I guess I do. That's the uh, that's the TV producer in me. I yes, often wouldn't let people go uh, too long either there. Cracking uh, the whip. Yep. And another one here from Greg. He said, mate, he got the name bang on and gave him enough directions uh, for him to get there, and he's never been to West Auckland. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Thanks for your support. Cheers, Brendan. So there you go. I should have I should have probably had that, but hey, at the end of the day, uh, it's good because Charlie, Charlie hadn't won office before, and now Charlie's won. He's got himself yep. a $50 TAB bet and some sleep drops. Great story there, Charlie, who has been trying for so long. Uh, I, I remember Charlie from Geraldine when I first started here, and JD was uh, showing me the ropes, so uh if I if I was tight and I and I got you duty there, Ricardo, I'm sorry, but I'm glad that someone like Charlie, who's been trying for so long, finally won something. Yeah, well, exactly. So congratulations to you, Charlie. Well done, mate. And uh, yeah, he nailed a couple of really tough questions too. You know, the 1908 on the on the uh, Cubs, and I was going to say the Sox then for a minute, but uh, on the Cubs, and then uh, the Blue Jays question as well, because I probably I probably would have gone 95, 96 if it had come to me. 
Um, I did. I did look it up and went, oh no, ninety two, ninety three. Whoops. Uh, so he, yeah, he got it right. So you know, I thought, uh, well done, uh, well done on his. Um, uh, on his get now, Simon's uh, giving 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 you some some ammo on uh, the temper text uh, bed post text machine as well, saying just an FYI, the music is for your listeners, not necessarily for you. No, that's fair. That's fair. I'll wear that one, Simon. Uh, I do like to play when you're on Ricardo. <laughs> uh, the uh, bit of tadpole, all right. Uh, I feel yeah. like it's a nice little theme song to get you pumped up. Yeah, but it's not bad. I, I, I hear you loud and clear, Simon. Yeah, well, I don't know if Simon's having a crack at me for giving a crack at you or if he's having a crack at you for playing it. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure which way he's going with that. But uh, thanks for your text. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. the Temper Bedpost text machine here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.